Hey, Wonderfuls, welcome to episode 512 with my fantastic guest, Nicole Payson. Nicole is the other half of the Coming Out pod. You may recall I had Lauren on not too long ago, and I am so excited to... I really don't want to say complete the collection. That sounds extremely objectifying, uh, but I am such a fan of these two women, and I'm so glad to have had Nicole on. The only thing I do want to quickly say is that we did have a conversation about a family member and people in our lives we've lost to taking their own lives, and so just take care when listening. Loved this conversation very confident that you will too. So I'm not going to waste a moment more getting into it. Enjoy this conversation with Nicole. As the little automated lady recording in progress I was thinking um, <laughs> because everybody is talking about chatbots so much now and like deep fakes and all that kind oh of stuff my God. I was thinking to myself like like we all know that she could sound more human you know our little zoom lady oh sure and and so I'm, I was just sort of like quickly pondering over whether people just don't want that now or yet do you know what I mean if you just if there's something reassuring about the fact that it's a if that's a robot it's still a robot. You know what I mean? Because the, because the, like the the more customer service people sound real, the more angry it makes me. Do you know what I mean? The more someone's like, "I'm sorry, I didn't get that. Could you say that again?" That's more enraging, don't you think, than like a robot that's like, "Please slow down." Yeah, a hundred percent. Because you're like, "I'm annoyed sitting here on the phone, and you're just like spitting that fake cheer back at me, and there's no receiving. You're just yeah." I I also totally agree. Like, how dare it's, how dare you? Yeah. How dare you speak dare to me like you? that? How dare you? It's the uncanny <gasps> valley of like, you don't yes. have feelings. Why are you? Of course, you're chipper. <laughs> yeah, nothing can throw you off. But I feel like Zoom has a lot of other kinks to work out. They probably have not uh, front loaded the the automated voice is my yeah. my thought. You're probably right. You're probably <laughs> yeah. right. You don't think that it's just that they don't that, that Zoom knows you don't want someone to say, OK, I'm listening. <laughs> I'm hearing everything you're saying. I hear it. This will go into a database that we will use against you later. Goodbye. Yes, it will be there forever. Yeah. <laughs> don't fuck yeah. up. Yes. Don't fuck, don't fuck up. <laughs> have you done any of the sort of like chat bot? Oh, fuck no, I have not. Me neither. I have not because I simultaneously hate technology and am on Instagram like a mind and soul numbing amount. So like, <laughs> like, like I kind of am like, I can't actually add anything else to the sure. things that I'm doing on my phone because the one app is already slowly killing me. And so uh-huh. I just feel like anything else and I'm and I'm done and I'm toast. So yeah. I have not played with a damn thing yet. No. Yeah. <laughs> I I haven't either. I feel uneasy about it like, you know. I'm I'm the person that everybody is writing about when they're writing about, you know, like and then the AI told me to kill myself. <laughs> like I just feel like yeah, that's <laughs> that's bound to happen. There's just something very unsettling about it. Mhm. Mhm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But at the same time I'm tr- I'm like I'm both totally worried and like not worried at all. It's that it's sure. a, holding holding those emotions in the same space in your body is I think we've all maybe gotten too good at it now because the world is in such a it's place the where world. you're sort of holding the best and worst moments just to 
just to like exist because mm-hmm. if you can't ignore the negative stuff, even if it's not happening to you personally, it's still happening to you personally because it's happening to the planet. And yet you don't want to only focus on that because we would all just like jump off a building. Yeah, that would be it. It'd be like, what like is the AI told us to? Yeah, like the AI. Exactly. You're, yeah. They're like, this is our plan all along. <laughs> like we inspired climate change. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> oh, my God. We find oh. out that's the long game of the AI. Oh, no. Yeah. I mean, it is. That is like that. I mean, that's like early Terminator days. I feel like we all go back to the Matrix as a really good comp mm-hmm. for like whenever we're trying to explain how we feel about living in this technological era. But Mm -hmm. going back even further, like the whole idea that the machine scorched the sky. I mean, I've probably seen The Matrix. I mean, oh, see, I'm doing it. I've probably seen (laughs) Terminator like three times, maybe the original Terminator. And I still feel like I remember the words they scorched the sky. Unless that's Matrix. Is the Matrix they scorched the sky? Somebody scorches the sky. It is. I'm pretty positive. Damn it. I thought that was I thought that was Terminator. You know what? And the reason I say that is because I've never seen Terminator. Oh, okay. And 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 I can picture when they're yeah. saying in the Matrix and they scorched the sky. Like I then I was see tra- exactly. Oh, that's so funny. I love that I was trying to give it up to an older movie and I still went back to the Matrix. That's the Matrix controlling my mind. It's the Ma- I was about to say designed that way. I'm in the Matrix. There you go. The Matrix is me. Matrix, <laughs> Matrix, Matrix. Now I can't stop. It's like being John Malkovich. All I can say is Matrix for every other word. We actually did an episode on our podcast recently about the Matrix. About like the entire oh coming out pod yeah yeah let me go ahead and just uh yeah front, oh, front load that uh, <laughs> salesmanship yes a coming out pod uh we did we did a uh an episode about well with a uh, a trans author who wrote a a book that is entirely like it's literally time codes going through the whole series of the matrix explaining the trans allegory that's in oh, there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, which is, like, just fascinating. Oh, I can fascinating. listen to that episode. Yeah, it's really cool. It made me want to go back and watch the movies in, like, a oh whole different, through a whole different lens, yeah. And is that, cool. and I it, this is not a, this is not, this is, there's no judgment attached to this, but I'm curious if that's, like, canon or if that's interpretation, mm, like, well, whether or not, you know what I mean, how much the Wachowskis are. Well, and they came out as trans, both of Of course, them. of yeah, course, yeah. So that's, like, I just didn't know if they were, like. If they acknowledge that that is. Yes, there's a lot of conversation happening in here or yeah that's such a part of our kind of uh, creative dna that it's there even if we don't see it there or we see it there you know i because i love artistic interpretation no matter what oh me too absolutely and i also like as artists you know there are things that we put in our work where that we're not aware of too totally you know that are uh, that we're something that we're struggling with even if we can't name it goes into our work and then maybe 10 years later we go back and we're like oh yeah wow like I see little little me having like the germ of this this thing Absolutely. that's about to happen, but it it but not aware yet. So, in that sense, I think it's kind of undeniable because you're like, well, how could like that's such a huge thing that both of them came out as trans that how could that not even subconsciously have been in there on some level? Sure, but consciously, one of them did come out and say that there was a conscious allegory going on. And then apparently she walked it back a little. Hmm. But I don't know enough about like what they've actually said versus just like that lens that you can look at it through. And one thing that came up is because I was like bringing up like the religious lens of certain things in it as well. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. our guest was like, you know what? I am not qualified to to speak of 
about that lens. She was like, mm. I'm sure that there's that allegory going on too. This is the only one that I know that I, that, sure. like, I'm, I'm sort of t- trained in my life experience to be able to see, you yeah, know? Almost like tuning a radio dial like yes. this. Like there's like, you can sort of, or like turn, like sound engineering where you're turning up this yes. quality yes. and turning down the other so that that's more muted so you can focus on. Exactly. That's really cool. And so I think it's like, I don't know. I don't know the extent to which it was conscious or subconscious or whatever, but there are, I would say there are layers of allegory going on. So I think it would be a mistake to be like, this is only a trans allegory. I think it's kind of um, impossible to make that argument, but I'm sure it's layered in there. So anyway, it's fascinating. Yeah. Did you guys talk about Sense8 at all as a side like moment? No, actually. I loved that show so much. I only saw like a tiny snippet of oh it. Oh my but god! I know that's what everybody said. Yeah, I, I and 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 I will say this is one of those shows where like the first episode, I felt like there's something here. I don't know if I'm gonna like this at all, but there's something here. And yeah. then I just sort of slipped. It was like you're sort of around the rabbit hole, and then you just slip in, and then you're like, oh no, I'm all <laughs> the way in. And that yes. also happened to me with the OA, which again uh... is like something I can step back from and go. Oh, I, I'm 100%, like, I understand any friend of mine who wants to sit down and tell me why they hate that oh, show sure. or those sure, shows. I sure. get it. It shouldn't work for me on many levels, but for whatever reason, like, my heart just goes, mm, all right, and just, like, gives over. And, mm-hmm. and, and that's how I felt about Sensei. And, and that is another, like, for such a, I definitely recommend that you watch it, like, get through the first episode or two as you're sort of, like, figuring out what's going on and why because after that it just becomes for any sort of like highly sensitive like compassionate person I I feel like it it scratches so many itches for Mm. just like lived experiences that other people have and how much we wish we could feel truly feel someone else's feelings and like all of that kind Mm. of stuff and it's just Lovely. And I'm sure, I mean, I can't imagine that there isn't sort of a trans conversation happening there as well, because there's a real gender fluidity. Um, mm-hmm. There's a fabulous trans actress in it. There's, you know, and, and just the sort of, yeah, the sort of fluidity of like, my soul happens to be in this body, right? Or mm-hmm. my consciousness happens to be in this body, but it could just as easily be in this body. And mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and tell you the entire plot <laughs> of the show, but I kind of just But I should go back that, and I? see it. Yes. And I'm and I'm 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 quite a spiritual person in one uh and and like I I think about and ruminate on uh, empathy quite a bit and like mm. ideas about radical empathy, which is the idea of like truly putting yourself in the other person's shoes, like imagining step by step what has happened to them or whatever. So that really appeals to me. Okay. Yeah. Cool. All right. Okay. I'm in. All right. Fine. Report I'm back. <laughs> I'll expect a full report back. Um, I'm sure there's some fun fan podcasts about that, but if there aren't and you like the show, maybe we'll just do a quick mini series. <laughs> nice. Where we where we talk about it. Great. Okay. So I definitely remember when I did your podcast. Yes. Um, we talked about sort of uh, media that spoke to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and certainly me because we were talking about me. But when we were younger, kind of looking for that representation in the art that we consumed, just to put that in focus a little bit for you, Nicole, where were you a teenager and what were you like attracted to in, say, film or television or whatever that made you feel seen? Oh, uh, 
Great question. And I usually. And by the way, we can take these in chunks because I realize one is like a giant (laughs) biographical question and the other one is a giant like personality. Well, it's really, it's so (laughs) funny because it's like I normally only get asked this through like the queer lens where it was like, what queer stories were you watching or were you watching any because there were so few at the time and things like that. And those are definitely in there, but I rarely, if ever, get asked about this like, just through my like my full uh human lens <laughs> and my full experience of of being a teenager um so now i get to think about this which is really fun so first of all i <laughs> i was a teenager in connecticut uh i oh <laughs> and like just over the border from new york so very much tri-state area connecticut not like Cows, Connecticut. And yeah, it's I'm Yankees or Mets, Connecticut, not Red Sox, Connecticut. Got it. Like got more it, like it, mortal it. enemies, actually. So, uh-huh. you know, it's a whole thing. <laughs> um, and Yankees, by the way, I'm Yankees. Um, so Understood. there you go. Um, and both my parents were from Long Island. So I kind of had I, I was l- less con- I had like sort of a mix going on. Um, but yeah, it was <laughs> I definitely felt like a black sheep, though, and certainly the queerness and like latent queerness and then out queerness was like part of that for me, feeling like a black sheep. But it was kind of everything like I was. I don't know. I was always like. I guess I was I was an early bloomer. (laughs) People always talk about late bloomers. I was an early bloomer. Like I never thought kissing was gross. I'd like French kissed by the time I was like 10 years old. I was like, Mm -hmm. you know, I didn't do much more than that until then. I was like in high school. But I just had like a rotating cocktail of boyfriends, basically. And just I I don't know. And I think I think certainly among certain parents, I got like a, a, a reputation for 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 kind of doing that, wearing what I wanted and things like that, mm-hmm. which in like my very sort of conservative, not in like the religious sense or anything, but conservative yeah. in the waspy sense. Behavior, yeah. Yeah. Like Was it very, a small community? Was it like uh no, it's a pretty big town. Okay. Um it, I mean it's Greenwich, Connecticut. So oh, like okay. if, <laughs> yeah. Um all you have to do is Google Greenwich, Connecticut. Um you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. But um it is very buttoned up. Everything is about appearances. That feels so stressful. It's very stressful, like extremely stressful. Ooh. And so I in many ways I feel like my adult journey has been undoing that like starting with starting with coming out and then really starting with going to college and going to acting school and then being like yeah we feel like you're just like like really controlling a lot of what you're doing right now and not like letting your impulses fly and I was like I wonder why that is my I had a director who I had a teacher who thought that and he assigned me a lot of Sam Shepard scenes (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Which if you're if you're if you've studied acting or if you study playwriting at all, you'll know what that means. Yeah. Which is basically just like raw, mm-hmm. sexy, like instinctual kind of yes. stuff. Very much so. Still very, kind yeah. of heady, but also still like very in your body. Yes. Kind of and stuff. unfiltered and like mm-hmm. Yeah, yes, 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 yes. But yeah, no, so I think in terms of the media that I was attracted to as a result. Well, I can speak to like the queer stuff was like big for me in the sense that I think about high school and I immediately go to like queer as folk. Yeah. So the Hell's original sports. Showtime. Yeah. The original yeah. Showtime, the boys uh, show. And they had a lesbian couple, too, which was a, obviously a huge draw for me. 
But just, I loved that show. I loved that show. It was also the first time I saw a parent who was like a P-flag kind of parent mm-hmm. um, represented, which and she's so great on the show. So it was great. And I was also like really turned on by all the boy sex. I was like, oh, this is also really hot. I was like, am I oh, a sure. gay male? Like, I, I literally, know, totally. I remember thinking that, being like, what does that even mean? Because I didn't have words for like yeah, whatever. Yeah. But I remember being like, I'm very turned on by this. And then I've heard since, like so many times since, that a lot of lesbians watch gay male porn, which is just the funniest thing to me. It's but what it, is it that makes about? Sense. I know what it's about for me. <laughs> oh, great. Okay. Which explain. I'm not saying like I just sit and watch <laughs> gay male porn. No, but like but I think for me could be in the rotation. Yeah. I mean when I was in my twenties in San Francisco, I was both like very sexually awake and very mm. excited by that and mm-hmm. feeling very much in my element. Mm-hmm. And there was it's a very sex positive city. It, you know, if we're talking about the sort of like alt side of San Francisco, I'm not there's plenty of waspiness as well. <laughs> uh, but those were not the circles I was invited into. And so, you know, you have all, like a good vibrations you know, in all your favorite neighborhoods and, you know, just a lot of like just a lot of sex positive culture um mm. and and very like poly or pan in a way that before before people were using those words and there was a female owned cooperative that was a strip club called the lusty lady and all of this made sense because you know the conversation i kept having in my head that frankly i still have is like just being so worried that the women aren't mm. enjoying themselves like just being so worried all the time like that was just running around <laughs> in my head and so I'm not that it's I'm not saying that that it, you can be a, a, a gentleman doing porn and that you're not also feeling exploited in some way or that you're not enjoying it. Sure. I, I'm not I'm not saying that at all. And I'm not saying that I even have the ability to tell that story. Like, I don't know. Sure. But I think for me, like gay porn was like I had so many gay friends who were really frisky. I had a couple of friends who did gay porn. And they were like, girl, it is just fun. You know what I mean? So for me, it was like, this is an outward representation. It's clear to me they're having a good time. Like, to me, an erection means you're turned on. It's yeah. real. Yeah. And I, so I just wasn't, in, I, I internalized no, no worry about the women. And again, that might be a really naive thing to say. But no. um, so I'm sure someone will school me on this. But like, that is, I can only speak to how I felt about it, which was like, this is safe. Like, this is emotionally I don't have to spend a second worrying about anybody. That is so funny. I've never thought about it like that, but that makes so much sense to me. And that is such a thing, like watching porn. If there is any... If I get the sense that like, yeah, if, that the woman isn't enjoying it, if there's a, if there's phoning it in, if there's anything, if it feels like a job, either in either in a way that God forbid is like actually painful or, you know, soul wrenching or even in the best sense that it's a job where it's like, yeah, I'm just doing my job right, right. <laughs> today. I'm just not into it. Like it's and I, I and yeah. And I also it's so funny, like as a, as a uh, recovering codependent. It makes complete sense to me that I'm like, oh, yeah, no, I would. I'm just sitting there nervous and and making sure the woman is okay. Totally. Yeah. And that's ah, not to say that women can't enjoy porn and do an amazing. Like, I'm not saying that at all. Absolutely not at all. I just want everyone to be happy where they are. And we grew up in a time where. You know, there was just a lot of conversation around yes. the exploitation of of young women and, yes. and women of, you know, all shapes, sizes and ages. And so I'm glad that those conversations were happening, but and are yes. happening. Yeah. And that's our experience, too. You know, like 
we can, you know, we're, we're sitting there being able to personally relate as well to like right. the experience of being in the body of a, of a woman. And so it, of course, we're more in tune and honestly empathetic toward that. So that would make sense. Yeah. But no, as I would, so aside from um, like queer as folk and some other gay shit, I, <laughs> I would say like, well, there was so much I was into because I was an actor at that point already. So I was consuming a ton of stuff that was like stuff that I wanted to be in, you know, I mean, be it Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, like I'm a huge fantasy nerd, you know, Shakespeare in Love was like my favorite movie. Yeah. Uh, it still is one of my favorite movies, you know, like classical stuff. I'm I'm really into all of that. Braveheart, Jesus Christ. It's funny because you just listed a bunch of things and I don't, I'm, I'm not going to like overly psychoanalyze even though that might be exactly what's going on. But like here you are talking about, you know, this very buttoned up society that is, you know, very sounds like very judgy and mm-hmm. maybe people are sort of living in a fear of authenticity in some way. And here you're listing off like not just queer stuff, but also like a lot of world building and rule breaking. Like Shakespeare in Love is about breaking rules as much as anything. Braveheart is about breaking rules as much as mm-hmm. anything, like being your authentic self. So I love oh that. Oh, my God. A- yes. And acting obviously represents like people from all walks of life and expressing yourself and just everything that's flying in the face of like, oh, we don't do or say that here, dear. Oh, my God. Absolutely. Yes. And I mean, you know, I think some people would call it escapism. And yeah, sure, there was there's an element of escapism in it. But like, really, I I think you're right. It's about no, I just I would like the world around me. I want the rules broken. I want the rules broken and here the rules can be broken and actually it can inspire me to figure out how to break the rules in sure. real life, you know. And so then like as an as sort of addendum to that, I also I was really drawn to still am really drawn to like bad girls, bad girls mm-hmm. with a good heart. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. like. Because I was like a, I kind of describe myself now as like a bad girl who was trying really hard to be good, you know, Mm. and I think I still am that in some ways. And I'm just more aware of it now. (laughs) So I can be a little more obviously bad, I guess. But like, oh, my God, I was so into the craft. I was so into into and still am. Into the Adams family, Morticia Adams is like oh my, my absolute everything. Oh I was I just God. said to one of my friends today that like my life trajectory is just a straight line from like the person that my mom gave birth to to Morticia Adams. Like that's just <laughs> that's my <laughs> that I is my the life. Adams family. What a gift the Adams family. What a fucking was. gift. Oh, it was yeah. so. Good and so stylized. That's the other thing is like, mm-hmm. you know, looking at these things as very like stylized pieces of art, too. I yeah. mean, watching it as an adult and as as like a, a storyteller, I'm like, God damn, that's so so beautifully weird and out of the box. Yeah. And then even like, you know, Angelina Jolie in Girl Interrupted. Oh, my God. Girl Interrupted was so huge. Girl Interrupted oh. was like. I mean, I because I never like I don't I like I never read the bell jar. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm, that feels like it was generationally mm-hmm, maybe mm-hmm. a little ahead of our time. Mm-hmm. And so that wasn't, you know, but but Girl Interrupted was, I think, that for many of us was like many of us. Yes. So, yeah. Like and also sort of like especially when you're a teenage again, just specifically talking about girls, but like mm-hmm. when you are a sensitive teenage young lady I think so many of us feel like we might be on the brink of going crazy. Yeah, definitely. Like we feel like it's like we're walking the finest thread 
because our hormones are going crazy and we're sensitive and we're overthinking and maybe things are happening to us that we don't want or that we don't understand or that shouldn't be happening to us, all of those things. Mm -hmm. And so I think a movie like that, like, sort of gives you permission to almost ask the what if. And then on the other side of the what if is like, maybe I would be okay because like there would be my people there or... Yeah, you know, it would be dangerous in a different way, but I would find the person who understood me, like a like a Whoopi Goldberg character kind of mm-hmm. person or whatever. So that was huge yeah. for me too. And for sure, I mean, please, Angelina's like it's as if it's like when they make a list in Mary Poppins and like send it <laughs> send it up under the <laughs> chimney. It's like we just made a list of like the woman we all wanted to fall in love with or be or both. And then so both. she just appeared with and every single quality. <laughs> With all of it. Yeah. And she, oh, God. And talk about, like, I mean, she literally, like, what? she When she won her Oscar for that, she literally looked like Morticia Adams that night. Like, she's mm-hmm. dressed like her. I mean, yeah. to, you know, and they she had the whole, like, blood. Oh, the, is that the Billy Bob era? Yes. Oh, my, oh my God. God. So they good. were living it. They were living it. I mean, the whole, the, the feeling that they were giving you, which I love, and I love this parallel, because here we have Gomez and Morticia, who are very sexy. Like, they're mm-hmm. a very oh my sexy God, yeah. couple. It's clear they have a very healthy sex life. They adore each other. They're so attracted to each other. Gomez can't keep his hands off of her, mm-hmm. which is pretty, like, not, I mean, the black and white reruns, it would be, like, on, you know, Nick at Night or Nick Jr. or whatever. Yeah. Notwithstanding, that was true then, which seems very risky. Like, oh, mm-hmm. you created these characters that are so risque, but they're so oddball. Yes. sort of... It's okay. It's, it's not, okay because you know, it's not this. It's not really. It's not like Dick Van Dyke can't keep his hands off his wife. You know what I mean? Yes. And and then the uh. and then in the movie with Raul Julia and and Angelica Houston, like it's all still there. And then you have this real life Morticia and Gomez in Angelina Jolie and Billy Bob, who yes. are telling the press that they fucked in the limo on the way to the Academy Awards, oh and they're God. wearing vials of each other's blood. And you're like, oh, thank you, thank you for giving me that, like peek Y'all. inside your relationship like what it, it felt so generous of them <laughs> it was oh my god y'all if you have not seen that clip and i think it is only because i know this from her outfit which is really a it shows you the rabbit holes that i've gone down um <laughs> but it was either the mtv movie awards or the vmas i can't remember but okay, anyway okay but but if you if you just Go on YouTube. This video is there. I have reposted it on my Instagram before. <laughs> like, it is the fun. You're just like, what? She like basically says nothing throughout this interview. He's just like, yeah, I mean, we fucked in the car on the way over. And she's like, oh, stop. Like she like comes up for air one time from like kissing his neck. And you're like, this is real life? Like what is going on? It's so fucking funny it's it's fantastic it's so good but yes but those and and like just to cap it off with like going back to uh, girl interrupted for a second uh, besides the angelina jolie of it all which was a huge draw even in the book which i read my freshman year of high school the book on on which upon which the movie mm-hmm. was made she even the the author at one point says that being in like the institution and i'm paraphrasing but it was as though the other women there, all of what they were thinking and feeling and going through was relatable, every single mm-hmm. thing. But it was like one of the things, one of the things they were feeling, one of the things they were thinking, whatever, was dialed up. 
it was like normal people, quote unquote, have it on a three or three to a five. And they're at like a 10 to 15 on like yeah. a 10 scale, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so there, and that always really stuck with me. And I, I think, you know, especially in retrospect, it stuck with me because that's how I, very much how I felt about my sister is that like I related so much to what she was feeling, but she always struggled with her mental health. And mm-hmm. I was like, I feel like, like Kim and I are, are almost the same person. It's just that I'm at like a five and she's at a 10 at all times. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so it like, to me, I think especially being a teenager and having all those hormones and being a, like much closer to a 10 than we are now as like sure. a, adjusted adults, that movie was so relatable in that way. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's funny, having gone back and watched it like in recent years, I'm like, fuck, Winona Ryder's character is such a like a spoiled little fucking bitch. <laughs> Sorry, but like she was like so not sympathetic in the rewatch, yeah. in my opinion, yeah. as an adult. I was like, oh, yeah. get over yourself, dude. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. She looks like she's just throwing a temper tantrum. She's like just a sad rich girl. Anyway, totally. Sorry. There are legitimate sad rich girls. It's OK. Totally. But I don't remember thinking that at the time. No, so not at like all. That's why I was surprised. The lens when the lens shifts, you're like, wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold yeah, on. that's why I was surprised. I was Some, like, I don't she, this changed. They rewrote. They reshot. <laughs> yeah, this. definitely, definitely, on? definitely. This isn't the movie I watched. Anyway, but yeah, so I would say those were like, those are the big things that stand out for me. Okay, we're going to take a break. I will be back after a word from our wonderful buddies at Maximum Fun. Hey there, beautiful people. I am your favorite authoress, Trayvell Anderson, of We See Each Other, a black trans journey through TV and film. You know this is supposed to be a promo for our show, Fanti, and not your book, right? It's called Multitasking. I can't with you right now. Trayvell and I have an <laughs> award-winning show called Fanti that we both host, and it's a podcast where we dig into the complex and complicado mm-hmm. conversations about the gray areas in our lives. Perhaps there is a public figure of some sort, and you're like, oh, that person is so smart and so charming, but you're also like, oh, that person gets on my nerves. Okay, okay. You can catch us every week right here on Max Fun or wherever you get your slayworthy audio. And you can watch us on the YouTube every Friday. That's Fanti. F-A-N-T-I. What kind of music were you listening to? Oh my goodness. I just made... Okay, first of all, I, first and foremost... Part of the queer awakening was Ani DeFranco. So, like, I got, like, hardcore into Ani DeFranco. She's, you know, gun to my head. Not gun to my head. My favorite artist of all time. Um, So, like, and that started in high school. But aside from that, lots of, like, alt-rock. Big into alt-rock. And it's funny. I just made a playlist (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and a lot of girl with the guitar stuff. Um, so I Love just it. made a playlist called Of an Age because I just I saw this indie like a month and a half ago or something out of Australia, which is so fucking great. It's a queer oh. coming of age story. It's two oh, boys. Okay. But it's like it's wonderful. It's so brilliantly acted. So I highly recommend it, but it's called Of an Age. And it took place like tracking exactly where I was at that age Mm -hmm. it like it was like 1999 or something like that and so the soundtrack made me be like oh it just took me back and I was like I'm making my own fucking soundtrack so I I went back and did like there were like some moody like third high blind songs there was stuff (laughs) off like the 10 things I hate about you soundtrack sure there's like oh my god there was like 
some just one hit wonders where I was like, oh, fuck, like the song Sway. I don't know if anybody remembers that. But yeah, I would say like music that made me feel stuff and was in like the folk rock or alt rock genre. And was the high school that you went to like, I mean, when I think of Greenwich and I feel like you've intimated this Mm. without actually saying the words, I'm just going to say the words. Mm. I don't feel like it's very ethnically diverse. It is more so now. It is more so now. That's good. Yeah. I just, I think I've spoken to several people from Connecticut mm -hmm. who are like, oh no, so white. Their communities were not particularly, yeah, they were were fairly So white. And even, so here's the thing. So Greenwich is... And again, I'm speaking to when I grew up there, uh, which is, you know, 20 years ago now. And so the reason I know that it has changed is because I have a friend who I was speaking to who's raising her kids there. Mm -hmm. And that was something that was very important for her. And so I was like, really, you're raising your kids in Greenwich? Like, I Mm -hmm. just kind of. And then she started talking about the way in which uh, it's, it's become more diverse. Now, granted, like. There should be way more actually black people than there are, but there's right. actually a much bigger apparently Indian population, and there was a big Japanese population in my part of town. Okay. So like, okay. you know, it, and that and that has has grown apparently. So yeah, okay. But when, <laughs> when I went, when I was living there, depending on the part of town you were in, and I was in like what would have been considered like the middle class part of town, kind of, mm-hmm. and my part of town so my elementary and middle school was mostly white with some asian and no south asian i don't even think i met a south asian person until i was in college which is insane Mm. and then in high school we actually did have quite a few i would say we maybe had like one fifth of our high school maybe ended up being like people of color, um, mm-hmm. specifically Hispanic and, and black kids, because there are projects in Greenwich. <laughs> and yeah. so they're on a different side of town from where I lived. And so we all integrated into the same high school. And so that's when I like that was when I was introduced to diversity. But what <laughs> what was still fucked up and God, I fucking hope it's not this way anymore. I would think it's not. But our student center So, like, where we all went between periods, where we ate lunch, like, where the cafeteria was, the whole thing. Our student center is enormous. It's a square acre. And, yeah, it's giant. So it was a big school in general. Oh, yes. uh, uh, 2,000 students minimum, 2,500. Yeah. Yeah, Um, yeah, this is a big town. And it was the only public high school in the town. So in the student center, not only were students, like, they sort of grouped themselves. There was no assigned seating. It was just... There was sort of there was the freshman section, the sophomore section, the junior section, the senior section. But then there were like two other sections. Hmm. And one of them was like the goth kids and Mm -hmm. like kind of the like the nerds and the whatever. And then across the way were the people of color. It was like there Hmm. were a few people of color who like infiltrated into the more mainstream like grade sections mm-hmm. but it was a huge block mm-hmm. of kids who were just it was like s- segregation it, yeah. it was like chosen segregation but like probably not because i can't imagine that that the kids of color felt welcome by like right. the general white population or at the very least couldn't relate to them yeah 
You know, it was a it was a breakdown of being able to relate to each other. It felt like being in different cultures. And socioeconomically, we were because the vast majority of the people of color were in the projects. And that was a very, very, very different culture, essentially, than so much of the rest of the school was living. So I just fucking pray that it's not like that anymore. It's it is. And to the point where like and I, I rail about this all the time. So I was in like honors English and history classes and sophomore year was when we started learning in history. We were given Howard Zinn's People's History of the United States, which is revisionist American history. Right. And it basically was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. everything that you've been told through like the white perspective is untrue. Here's what we did to the indigenous Native Americans. Here's why um, racism is not over. It didn't end with the civil rights movement. Like it was it's not like I, I thought racism didn't exist or some shit like that. But it was as though I was waking up from having just been like told fairy tales mm-hmm. about what history was and about where we were as a society in present day. And I was so fucking angry. And I was even angrier when I found out that only the honors kids were being given that material. Oh, no. So anybody who wasn't in honors classes was just getting the same, like, white lens of history. And when you think about it, because of socioeconomic barriers, the vast majority of the kids of color we're not in the honors classes. Right, right. Anyway, that's a big way of saying, no, it was not diverse. And the diversity that there was, was a segregated kind of diversity. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, and then thank God I went to school in New York City. <laughs> I was going to say, I was going to say, you were shaking it up a little bit. No, I was, I was like, Across I was just itching to get out by the time that I that I was that I was a senior I was just like I can't really I can't take this anymore and I I needed to be around much 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 more diverse population of people so yeah yeah how much older is your sister than you she actually uh well so she passed uh she passed eight years ago and she she was younger than me so she's three years younger she was younger and um we really we were both black sheep but, like, if I was a black sheep, she was, like, I don't know, like, some giant elephant of a black sheep. Like, yeah. I'm not even sure how to say it. She yeah. was quite, quite. And she just really could not, on numerous levels, she really could not ever, and to her credit, honestly, get with the program of Greenwich. She just couldn't. She, like, could not be... She couldn't live up to the the pressures, the academic pressures, the social pressures. Like she was a very, very out of the box, like pure, what is it, right-brained artist? That's, yeah, you're right, right? And it's just our town was the absolute wrong place for somebody like that. So she ended up actually going to like therapeutic boarding schools Throughout most of high school, she left our high school. And then, yeah. So, yeah, it was I had like a a real front row seat to how (laughs) how like conformity can really Mm. fuck fuck people up. Yeah. I lost her eight years ago. So eight years ago, April 1st. So the anniversary just passed and she took her own life, as people may have deduced from what I've said thus far. 
And she was 26, almost 27. So like my birthday is March 29th. She died April 1st. And then her birthday is April 7th. So um, yes, this time of the year is really fun for me. (laughs) Always. Um, But yeah, so it was, um, yeah. So it was a really, I don't know. It's interesting. Like my town, I have such a um, love-hate relationship with it in some ways because because of her and always feeling like I was protecting her because like I could kind of handle it even though I was itching to get out I could still handle it I'm also like I don't at least that I (laughs) am aware of have any like learning differences Um, I'm not neurodivergent and she was and and so like I don't know I think I, I just it's why I've thought about how I just don't think I could justify raising a kid there even if it has changed I don't know (laughs) <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot attached to that for you, and you probably yeah. have a pretty solid perspective on that. Yeah. Well, obviously, I'm very sorry that happened. I've lost Thanks. people in that way, and it's a very unique type of loss. And yeah, um, yeah it's it's uh, it just changes your person. I mean, it's hard because again, if you're when, when you're empathetic, you sort of, and it's somebody that you're close to, or it's a family member it's really easy to put on those glasses and feel like you, you know, to be able to see the world from from a perspective that feels very bleak indeed. Um, yes. And so there's a lot of, like, work. There was certainly work for me and for other people like me, and perhaps you can relate to this, of just, like, making a very conscious decision to absolutely recognize that, look it right in the face, because, like, there's no, there's nothing good coming from not looking it in the face. Yes. And understanding that that's a part of reality. And mm-hmm. it, it doesn't have to be the whole of reality, but that our brains all work differently. Chemicals work differently. Medications work differently. Perspectives, timing, all of that kind of stuff. Like, it's just, everything is just a constant chemistry experiment. <laughs> Oh, my God. Like every moment of every day we're walking through on this earth is like a chemistry experiment for each person's body and brain. Yes. And then and constant variables pop, 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 pop. Like, you know what I mean? Oh, my God. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's why, like, you know, (laughs) it's interesting. It's why I both am. I am simultaneously grateful for the sort of normalization of trigger warnings. And then I'm also because I I do think, you know, it, it what it it is trying to work towards is sort of a practice of greater empathy, right? Mm. However, I'm also like, y'all, triggers are are often actually not even obvious. So like people are actually just, tr- being triggered is part of being a human being and part of like your own journey of healing and and learning how to live in this world is learning how to self-soothe when triggers inevitably come up because it happens constantly. You just never know what somebody else has gone through and they never know what you've really gone through and how your brain works and how their brain works and how, you know, we're all receiving everything. So it's like, yes, we need to be very kind to people. And also we need to be extremely aware of how important it is to draw boundaries for ourselves and be our own caretakers as well. For sure. Well, I also, I mean, you know, again, yeah, everyone's sort of way that we digest information and digest media and stuff is different. And 
I just always joke. Like, I completely understand the thinking behind it. I, a psychologist friend of mine has been talking recently about the fact that apparently, like, there's been a lot of work done around this and that, to quote her, a.k.a. to quote the research, trigger warnings don't work. Um, <laughs> yeah. But my joke has always been, if you want to trigger me, give me a trigger warning. Like if you if you want if you want me to think about suicide, tell me that there's a trigger warning that suicide will be discussed, and I will think about every person I've ever lost. Like yeah. you're giving you you handed it to me, so I under I totally understand oh that. Like God. even just seeing the word, I so agree with you. Oh. You know what I mean? Like yes. it's just there's no, no there's no I right do. for me. There's no right way. I would rather almost rather hear the story. And understand that it's a perspective that other people have gone through or that like it's that I'm hearing someone else's story and not focusing on mine Mm -hmm. than to not listen to something or watch something because it's going to bring up my shit. And that's just me. I'm not saying that that's anybody else's experience. But ironically, a trigger warning for me is a trigger. So, yes, exactly. And (laughs) and that's the thing. Exactly. And there is more research coming out about this stuff because I feel Dude, the exact same way. Like, I am so much where I see, like, TW colon suicide. I'm like, well, there it is. I mean, like, what it, well, like, what are we even playing at right now? Like, truly, yeah. you know. But I, I I did hear, you know, for those interested, which I hope is, I hope is everybody as we are trying to, you know, handle each other with empathy and care out in the world. I did hear from a, uh, an author and an expert in this recently who also has been suicidal in, in his own life that, The research shows that speaking in specifics about like methods or like stories along those lines that really go into details are much more likely to be triggering or inspire people, which is weird Mm -hmm. because like Mm -hmm. it's the opposite of what they tell you about when you're when you're someone you love says, hey, I'm thinking about suicide. You're actually supposed to ask them, hey, have you planned like a date, are you, um, how how far are you in thinking about this? Like mm-hmm. meeting them where they're at instead of being like, no, 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 don't say that. Don't think about right. it because then right. it becomes potentially planning in their own head, whereas you can gain more information by actually asking them. So it's different if like they're already there, right, at that point and then you're drawing it out of them more. But if you're just sharing your own story or whatever and, you know, in these trigger warning kind of situations, right, details are actually potentially more triggering and more um, negatively inspiring. So inspiring somebody to potentially copycat, which is horrifying Mm. to think about. However, just generally talking about it, talking about one's own suicide attempt, just blanket statement, you know, or the feelings that led up to it or what stopped them or whatever, you know, that stuff actually is proven to be far less triggering and far more uh, basically talking people off a ledge. It's like, mm. it's that kind of stuff actually makes people feel like it's, um, they're less alone. So, yeah. yeah. So it is interesting that our idea also of triggers and the, it's, it's all kind of off, honestly. And like, I've yeah. said this on my own podcast before in terms of, I guess, my own triggers. I am thankfully not uh, suicidal or I don't have suicidal ideation. The only times that I ever have really was during like postpartum depression, which I got on Zoloft, everybody. Things are good. Um, (laughs) But like, yay. But no, for me, in terms of like triggering of my own trauma with being a survivor of suicide um, uh, with my sister is like, I'm triggered 
by the movie Frozen, okay? So, like, nobody is going to post about Frozen and put a trigger warning for, like, trigger warning, sister loss. You know, like, like, no one's going to do that. I'm triggered by, like, the, like, you know... International Sibling Day, which like it falls also in like the hell week between like, you know, my birthday and Easter and all of like Mm -hmm. the anniversaries and stuff with my sister just happens to, you know, stuff like that. Like those are the things that we don't think to do triggers for. And why would you like I'm not going to go around like getting angry at people for like talking about Frozen or singing Let It Go. (laughs) Oh, 100 percent. And like, yeah, I remember the first Mother's Day after my mom died. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was joking about that. I I was like, everyone needs to because strangers now it's so like part of the culture that like just someone, you know, that's like selling you a pack of gum is like, happy Mother's Day. (laughs) You know, it's like for each person to be like, trigger warning, happy Mother's Day. Yeah. Trigger warning, happy Father's Day. (laughs) Like it's just so. Yeah, it was just again. It's like it's like. It's a your heart is in the right place, but the execution is not effective. Yeah. 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 Uh, this is the last thing I'm going to say about this. But yeah. I, th- th- again, this is probably like a really broken part of my brain. It's probably trying to be optimistic about like a, a, a headspace that most of us don't walk around in all the time for sure. obvious reasons. But I always found like. Like even the copycat stuff, like. To me, it just it just feels like, oh, God, we all just want to belong to something like we do want to feel community and like, yes, to be in a place where you feel like you're ready to move out of this consciousness and just cease to exist or however you think of it. But to still want like sorority or fraternity or they (laughs) runity or whatever, definitely just made that up. Um, I love with (laughs) someone then uh, to still have that shared experience, even in isolation is like, so it's still very moving to me. Like there's still something about that that is like lovely. And then maybe I'm just trying to, you know, put a smiling face on something awful. No, it it just reminds me of like, Oh God, you know, we're just all, we're yes. just all trying to feel like we're not the only one. We're always trying to feel like we're not the only one. And this is the last thing I'll say about it, but I think it's a bit of a leap, but it is it is actually very related to that. There is this misconception. Like, I love that you just spoke about people who have suicidal ideation or who are suicidal with with such empathy because there, there is still kind of a pervasive idea of suicide being selfish, right? 100%. And I'm so I'm so glad they say completed suicide now instead of committed. Oh my god, not, I know. It's not an it's not murder. You, yeah, not, you commit homicide. You commit, like exactly. Yes. yes exactly. Yes, exactly. And no one was thinking about that. Like we don't no. think we weren't, we weren't thinking about it when we were saying it and that but it's just one of those many linguistic things that when someone tells you that you're like Oh, fuck. Oh, my God. Of course. Yeah, Yeah, you're like, of course. It's those insidious little moments where you're like, oh, shit. Yes. Oh, okay. Thank you. Yes. Let's move on from this. Well, like, it literally was, is illegal. Which weird. Like, that's the weirdest. That's the real separation between church and state issues, potentially. Like, there's there's something about that for sure. That is just genuinely mind-blowing. Because my mind, (laughs) the dark comedy is like, so what do you, you know, arrest the body? Like, what are we talking about here? Like, what, who is getting in trouble? 
Anyway, yeah, I just, amazing. it's so fucking ridiculous. <laughs> so yeah, so committed. Exactly. So yeah. I, and I, I, lo- I, I love that too. And that's because I, I never, I very purposefully never, uh, never say committed suicide, but I totally used to because I, yeah, I was yeah. also, yeah, I didn't think about it, but anyway, but yeah, but I, I feel so much that when you get to that point, in order to be selfish, you have to have a You have real... to value yourself. Oh, my God. I can't believe I just interrupted you. That was the no. worst. No, no, it's no. only because I adore you and I'm, like, connecting with you so hard. But I really no. just little kidded. It was like, are you going to say this? <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. No, but yes. And I'm glad that you did because it's actually, that's actually, like, a beautiful... Yes, exactly. You have to value yourself. And to take it a step further, you actually have to have an intact sense of self. Like, to get to the point where you're willing to go against your most basic instinct, which instinct, like, which is self-preservation, right? Your sense of self must have deteriorated so greatly that you are willing to go against your your most basic animal instinct. So the idea that this is selfish imbues the suicidal person with a sense of ego that just simply isn't there anymore. Because if it were, they'd perhaps want to stay. A hundred percent. And rationality. Like, yes, you're assigning yes! you're you're, yes! you're assigning rationality that defies all rationality. Exactly. Why? Exactly. Are, why, why would we ever put what? that kind of value on it? But I understand. I mean, it that just comes from a place of pain. You know, it's that pain. just comes it's from pain. a place of pain. It's, it's pain. It, of course, it's pain. Yeah. And it, yeah. But anyway, so uh, some light topics. for Yeah, I know. I'm, well, I'm always I really I really appreciate <laughs> you going there with me. Because, no, of course. You know, I, of course. I, you know, for sure, someone will listen to this and and feel a sense of community. And, you know, oh, my God, yes. you just never know. And I've you know, I get such lovely notes from folks who are like, oh, my God, I really, you know, needed that I needed to hear that or, you know, whatever. Same. Um, but it is ironic that I'm I just thought to myself, like, oh, I better make a note to uh, make sure I tell people at the beginning of this episode. <laughs> Oh, trigger warning. I know we do it on our, our episodes to right too. Thing. It's so fucking I right dumb. I don't know what the right thing is anymore anyway. But oh. hopefully, you know what? According to the research, we just did it right. So the right thing is just is talking really about it, way in, it. A, in a in a non-stigmatized we way, y'all. We eased our way. Okay, let's go back to what, yeah. some romance stuff and that'll oh, segue yes. us into. So you had some good smooching happening from an early age. <laughs> yes. With various and sundry folks. Yes. To the point where even maybe parents were like, um, maybe don't don't let them close that door. You know what I mean? Uh-huh, maybe don't uh-huh, let them close uh-huh, that door. Uh-huh, uh-huh. What is the picture of that in high school? Like where is all of that Ooh. happening? Where is the, and and feel free to incorporate, you know, like you said, any Ugh. any queer moments that are coming up for you if they're coming up for you at that point yet. Oh, they're coming up. Um <laughs> so it sure sounded like it. Oh, they're coming up. Yeah try to push them down as I may have done. Uh, They were coming up, like it or not. So, yeah, I mean, by the end of eighth grade, I think I don't, yes, I'd only ever been to like second base by the end of eighth grade. So we're talking, you know, some boob touching. Um, Not me touching another girl's boobs, though. I certainly wanted to latently, but uh, (laughs) being felt up myself. And I 
You say you were an early bloomer. Does that mean also physically or does that mean sort of just sexually? Oh, God, no. No. So that's hilarious because, like, we're all just, there was nothing. just touching flat chests. Touching flat anyway. chests, which, yeah. by the way, you know, time is a circle because uh, after <laughs> breastfeeding, we're right back there. Anyway, but um, so, yeah, I got together with the guy who would end up being my high school boyfriend, who is now a professional comedian, which is just hysterical to me. Amazing. I will name him by name. He's a funny dude. Um, so I feel like bro-y humor. Here you go. Uh, it's Chris O'Connor. But um, he and I got together at the end of eighth grade. And he really, like, it was, for all my other, you know, quote-unquote boyfriends or whatever leading up to then, it was first love. Like, that was my first love for sure. And we just... We got along so well. He gave me so much shit in the best way. And I'm an Aries, so, like, I need a challenge. So, you know, partners need to give me shit or I'm kind of bored. So, anyway, um, he did a great job of that. And, yeah, I mean, he was just, he was so hot. He was a lacrosse player. It was great. But little uh, queer polyamorous Nicole who, like, did not have words for anything, any of those things at that time, was kind of, was itching to be with other people, experiment, definitely liked girls and had no idea how to acknowledge that within myself. And this is all freshman year of college, or uh, this college, high school. And so Chris and I, I think because I kissed another boy who was my friend, that is what happened. We broke up at the end of freshman year, no, beginning of sophomore year, that was it, beginning of sophomore year, but then it's just a long time to be together. And when you're a kid. I, yeah. Whenever I hear yeah. these long term relationships in Fuck. high school, I'm always blown away. Like, it's fucking bonkers. I mean, like, again, I wish there's so many things I would tell my younger self. But, you know, you have to figure it out. And we're also, you know, I'm of a time. We're all of a time of our own time. Right. So I'm thinking I have to fit into like one very small little box. Right. But it was very frustrating, too, because I loved Chris and I was super attracted to him. So that was like the shit of it that like, you know, would plague me until my late 20s when I found the word polyamorous, because I would be like, I know that I love this person. So how dare you tell me that because I'm attracted to this other person, I don't also love this person. I know I love them. So what the fuck is wrong with me? You know, it was like that. But so that was very much happening. I just had absolutely no context for it and thought I was a horrible person. So so I was dealing with like a lot of those feelings, a lot of like bad girl trying to be good, you know, mm -hmm. and then slipping up when I couldn't like press it down anymore. So in that breakup, though, Chris and I then got on some like <gasps> argument on AOL at like midnight one night. Amazing. Uh, of course, of course. We're all we're all peacemaking happens. Where uh, all the peacemaking all happens. choices happen. Oh, yeah. Great. It was a really it was a really yeah peaceful conversation, I'm sure. No. Um, us talking to each other behind screen names and not having to see the reactions on each other's faces. Um, sure. Yeah, it was great. But it something happened. He admitted something to me that was very personal and it sort of ended the fight and I just wanted to go be with him. And so I snuck out of my dad's house and went to his house. And this is like one in the morning. And that was when I lost my virginity was that night. It's like he opened up about this like deep personal thing he'd never told anybody. And it was like, I love you. I love you. And then we just like had sex for the first time. That's and great. Yeah, it was. I mean, that sounds like a perfect. It really was. And then we got back together, you know, and then we were together on and off for the rest of high school. 
into like the first week of college when I was like, yeah, no, this is weird. We're we're uh, we have our separate paths. Um, although we hooked up into our 20s and stuff, too. Anyway, hmm. but it was a really positive first experience. Like, I'm so glad that I lost my virginity to him. I was 15, which didn't feel, honestly, to me too young. I felt, like, ready for it at that point. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have sex with another boy until I was in college, until my college boyfriend. And so, <laughs> girls were different, though. So <laughs> this was what ended up really plaguing me through the rest of high school and why Chris and I were on and off and things like that is I ended up hooking up with uh, one of my girlfriends in our group of friends who, like, I had clocked from middle school because she would, like, make comments uh, here and there about how, like, she's like, yeah, I mean, I, th- I feel like when I'm, like, in college and, like, drunk at a party or something, like, I'd make out with a girl. And I was like, uh, <laughs> okay, like, what? Message received. I was like, yeah, I, yeah, exactly. So I'd, like, I'd, like, really clocked her early. And she was so hot, too. She is so hot. And so we just, we ended up getting drunk together one night after my friend's dance recital and just put on some like good old skinamax we were like this is normal right we're just like two girlfriends drinking beer next to each other watching skinamax like leaning in further and further toward each other like what even and then and then finally our faces were like almost touching and i just like lunged and tried to kiss her and got her neck instead but that was all that it needed and then she just like jumped on top of me and that was it and And so, like, while I'd, like, kissed girls via, like, truth or dare and things before that, that was my first time, like, fully no boys present, no game, just, like, one-on-one, we're doing this, this is our choice, you know? Mm -hmm. And it was all the things in one night, you know, at least all the things that I knew of to do with a girl at that point (laughs) in one night, you know? Um, It was zero to 60. I was like, I'm so into this. And then we hooked up like several weekends in a row. My mom was like, you're sleeping at her house a lot. (laughs) I was like, yeah, we're like really good friends right now. It's fine. And then she got totally freaked out. And like after one weekend, it was like the third or fourth weekend that we'd slept together. Literally on Monday, I came into school and she was like fucking holding hands with this random kid on the baseball team. And I was like, what the fuck? And like, we had never discussed being girlfriends or anything. And I was really trying in my head to tell myself at that point that like my bisexuality was just physical, you know, but like I knew deep down that wasn't true. And so I was like, I was, I was hurt, but I didn't hold on to it. And what I did do, cause I'm not, I'm not one that goes after straight girls. I just don't. And I don't think she's straight between me and everyone who's listening to this. Uh, Mm -hmm. But that was enough of a burn that I was I was like, all right, now I know that I like girls and the next girl that I actually like or hook up with is not not going to be straight. They're going to be out. And so that's when my friend in my grade, we went to a party and her older sister came along and her older sister was also named Nicole. Um. (laughs) And uh, and has been on my podcast and also uh, now goes by they, them and Cole. So um, if I interchangeably go back and forth, it's just because I'm talking about Understood. them in the past, in the past tense. Um, and they've given me permission to do that in the past tense. So, but yeah, but at the time they were identifying as she, her and Nicole. So uh, first girlfriend. And it was like she was so out like she was on the basketball team. She was also super popular. She was just so fucking confident. And it mm. was like. It was just great. And we genuinely, I feel so lucky 
because I think so many queer teens at that time sort of had their first experience with someone out of convenience. It's like Mm -hmm. the only other queer person at the high school or the person that you met on MySpace who lived, you know, 45 minutes away or whatever it was. It was sort of like the closest person in proximity and you sort of bent yourself. Yeah, in, like you're trying it on. You're trying it on. You, because you can only try it on. There's only one dress in the dressing room. There's only, There's one, only one dress. Tuxedo. Yeah, and so, you know, and so that that's where it kind of comes from and that it inevitably ends because, of course, you're not actually really compatible. Um, Which, you, by the way, you know? can cause people to think, I guess I'm not queer then. Yes, like that, yes, you know? absolutely. And has has done, you know, until then they go to college or they move or they're whatever. And they're like, oh, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> no, yeah. this was just, I'm literally just incompatible with this this human. But like Cole and I, as we spoke about, actually, when I talked to them on my podcast, we were really fortunate in that it was real. Yeah, it was real. Like we were really at that time, we were really great for each other and we really loved each other. And we I mean, we both ended up going to NYU. There was like a lot of stuff where we were very aligned. And I'm so grateful that Cole was my first girlfriend. And then that was when I did like some more experimenting into like, oh, what what can girl sex be? You know, like and like sure. dove more into that and whatever. And then I kind of went. I we ended up breaking up when Cole went to college, and I they were a year older than me. And when they left, I felt very alone at the high school. And so I went back to like safe space, Chris. You know, who also I still loved at the time because again, polyamorous. Yeah. Hi, um, but that was really really hard because I don't. I I wanted. I really wanted to be with her, and I think I just. I wasn't ready to take on the pressure of coming back and being like, hey, guys, just kidding. It's not just uh, physical. I actually like really, really like girls. And then and now I'm the only one here, you know. So, yeah. So that was so that that was kind of those were my big ones, you know, (laughs) my big ones. Yeah. Would there have been a scenario in which if he were like. He still wanted to date you and Mm -hmm. understood that you had this connection and this relationship happening with Cole, is that something that you feel like you would have even necessarily been able to handle or wanted then? Or do you know what I mean? That's a great question. Because I, you know, because I, for example, being in a thruple is extraordinarily different than maybe being polyamorous where you're having a one-on-one intimacy with a person who's not part of a different intimacy that you experience. And when you're younger, especially, I feel like, and this, I, I guess this stays true anyway, but like, you know, people see different sides of us and we bring out different things in each other. Oh my and God, yes. And so the idea of like even thinking about intimate friendships I had or people that I was kind of maybe sort of dating at the same time, like just thinking about how how all of that fits together when you're that age and like yes. whether I could have even handled it. Like, you know oh what I mean? Oh my God, I don't, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think I could have because I was so binary in my thinking at the time. Like, it's hard for me now as a fully out polyamorous person who's been like practicing polyamory for almost nine years now. And my current relationship is that of a V structure is what you just said, which is, like there's one meeting point and then the two partners are separate. You're intimate separately with them. Right. And so like my husband and my girlfriend of uh, four and a half years, that is the case. We're all luckily they're like 
kind of brother and sister. So there's a we are a family together in that way. And mm-hmm. we like sleep in the same bed. I just sleep in the middle. You know, it's like that yeah. whole thing. But it is very, very challenging from a, just an energy standpoint to maintain a relationship, a V-structure relationship. I, I just like I would not frankly recommend it unless you genuinely feel like you have the space and energy and time in your life and your heart to work at that and to learn a lot of tools to make that work. And I just cannot imagine with the limited lens that I had in high school having the tools necessary to make that work. I I just I just don't. And then on top of it, with those two specific people, like we were all three of us because I mean, teenagers, hello. We were all three of us dealing with our own. Sure explorations, our own identities, things that we would learn later about ourselves, whether it was mental health stuff, whether in Cole's case it was gender stuff, which in retrospect, like I think about things and I'm like, oh my God, that was coming up for them then and that, and that's why we had this issue and this. So like there was so much at play with all of us that I also just, I don't, I don't see how we could, I just don't see how we could have done it. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. What a lovely. Well, you didn't have you know. to. I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> and here we are. Learned the hard way. I did it. I did it. Here I am. <laughs> oh. oh, oh, it's time for a quick break. I will be back after a word from our friends at Maximum Fun. Since we reached our highest milestone during the Max Fun Drive, we are creating a Max Fun Foley library full of sound effects from your favorite hosts. The whole Max Fun community will be able to use it. So, what would you like it to feature? People high fiving? Walking through mud? Chicken clucking? Jazz kazoo? Head to maximumfun.org/foley. That's maximumfun.org/foley and submit your ideas. We're excited to make this silly thing together and even more excited to see what you all create with it. And thank you again for a great Max Fun Drive. Anyway, I know we have to play MASH, I know. (laughs) Have to. I mean, it's not a have to. Okay, I am going to start with the category of... Well, let's do three places in the world that you would like to have a sort of a getaway home or even oh you know, could be in a bustling city, but that you would and we can just sort of teleport you there. OK, so three places I'd like to have a getaway home. Number one, Isle of Skye, Scotland. Number two, probably Buval, Sweden, which is where my husband is from. And number three, <laughs> Kauai, Hawaii. Great, great, great. Okay, next category. Let's do three foods that in this reality maybe you can't have because of allergies or it feels ecologically irresponsible or (laughs) you just want to be able to eat a bunch of sugar and not feel sick afterwards. (laughs) Uh, This alternate reality that we've got going for you, none of that exists. So you can have it as much as you want whenever Mm. you want. Mm. Snap Mm. of your fingers. Oh, my God. And this is just one food? Uh, Three. Three. Oh, three, three, three. And this isn't all you're eating. This is just like whenever you want it. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. Cupcakes. Great. Uh, French toast. Great. And pizza. 
Carbtacular. Love it. <laughs> oh, my it. God. I'm carbs all day. Everything day. about it. And safe. Okay. Uh, next, let's do uh, three. I mean, I guess I want I want to put you in something polyamorous if you were just <laughs> assuming it's the best possible scenario. So the speed bumps are like speed bumps that make it all worth it, etc. So basically, you're going to have six people to fill, whether you fill mm. that with two w- women and four men or... But it, you don't know what the combination is going to be. So, you yes, know what I mean? Like, yes, if you're yes, with Kate yes, Blanchett, you yes. might be with Kate Blanchett and Kate Winslet, or you might be with Kate Blanchett and, you know, Joseph Fiennes or whatever. So, <laughs> give me six people knowing that it's a real grab bag. Celebs. Okay. All right. Number one. All right. Six people. So, Eva Green. I know. She's so fucking hot. Uh, Zoe Kravitz. Oh, uh, Tom Sturridge, the guy who played uh, Dream in The Sandman. He's the lead in The Sandman. Oh, okay, sure. Yeah. Um, uh, Hello, Pedro Pascal. (sighs) Um, (laughs) I mean, Brad Pitt, (laughs) always. And, oh, for old times' sake, Angelina Jolie. Let's throw her in there. It'll be fascinating if you get both of them. Oh no, you won't. You won't. You won't. You'll either get Brad Pitt or Angelina because oh. they're on the same. They're in the same field. It's probably better. Um, there. Of all of these people, it's so funny. I only thought this. Like it's so amazing to me how quickly this came up for me. And I don't know what it says about me, but of all of these six people, there was only one person that I had an instinctual response to. Like they would never want to be with me, and it was Zoe Kravitz. What? I, I had immediately had this image of myself saying to her. Why are you even with me? <laughs> I don't know what that means. It means that she's straight, probably. She to seems be honest, very unattainable to me in a way that, for some weird yeah. reason, none of these other people do. It's very strange. She's real straight. She's just so hot that I'm yeah. like, yeah. Why are you even with me? Okay. Oh. Uh, next category: <laughs> three movies that you can jump into whenever you want. You're not uh, living there or reliving the plot, but it's just a place you can go in to spend as much or as little time as you want whenever you want three. Oh my god so just like other worlds basically mm-hmm. okay so harry potter um great. Uh, lord of the rings great and avatar wait avatar the blue people or avatar the cartoon people uh, oh oh no avatar the the blue people the yeah, the yeah, james yeah. cameron avatar understood pandora understood. is the where the i just world. realized i should ask yeah yeah perfect okay Next category, let's do three alternate universe careers. Oh God, it'll okay. just be the highlights. Here it is. Unless you want some lowlights. No, no, I'm good. I'm re- oh, I'm I'm ready. I've thought of many. Um, so uh, first one is a Unitarian minister. Amazing. Second is um a big cat expert. Wonderful. And third is oh three. I usually only give myself two. Mm-hmm. Third is fuck, fuck, fuck. There's so many good ones. Oh, uh, a senator. Great. Okay. Next category, I would like to hear three uh, artists you would like to create a, a soundtrack for you. Like it's your life. It's brand new music, and these are just people that like somehow magically they're going to be able to sort of like accompany your world. Oh my god! In a way that is befitting. Ani DeFranco. Oh, Aurora. Oh, great. And Danny Elfman. Great. <laughs> Fantastic. All right. Well, that brings up the Morticia Adams thing for me. So great. I'm going to say three, three sort of styles or style icons that you 
get to just totally immerse yourself and look just like that style without there's like there's going to be zero judgment there's zero discomfort like you don't have to worry about whether the clothes are comfortable in this reality somehow they all feel just wonderful oh, amazing so you can walk around looking like you know Catherine the Great in the mm. Great or Morticia or mm. uh, I, I feel like I always use the example of like some sort of like Charles Dickensian uh, <laughs> boy because I just think jodhpur like those little jodhpur shirts are so anyway, cute. Yeah, uh, and like fluffy shirts. Anyway, so three styles that you get to you get to wear where however you want, whenever you want, and and it's like never inappropriate. Morticia Adams for sure. So like you know, sexy witch. That's really what we're going for there. Right. Like old Hollywood glam, right? And futuristic elegant like west world oh great yeah. love that okay give me a word that helps describe the last conversation you had on coming out pod like just a word that kind of you're like hmm could be like interesting or challenging or silly or oh well the first word i thought it was cult but um i will <laughs> that's what i'm using <laughs> That's what I'm using that way. And then so people, <laughs> if you, you got to go listen, uh, check out Coming Out Pod, and then yeah. you have to try to figure out how and why. Oh, it'll that's be the word. It'll be very obvious. Yes. <laughs> okay. I'm going to use this uh, word to give you your 100% guaranteed MASH future universe world. If you would take this time to tell people where they can find you, what they need to check out, all of that good stuff, a.k.a. VAMP. Yes, absolutely. Okay, great. So uh, you can find me, in terms of social media, you can find me exclusively at Nicole Pacent. That's N-I-C-O-L-E-P-A-C-E-N-T on Instagram. Uh, yeah, I don't do Twitter anymore, even though I have a handle. I'm going to take it down. I'm going to I'm gonna figure it out, guys. But like I, <laughs> Instagram, you can also go find like a bunch of my work on IMDb. If you just look me up, you can also find me on the most recent season of Criminal Minds uh, on Paramount Plus. I am in five out of the ten episodes. I play Aisha Tyler's girlfriend. Oh, nice! And I love a, Aisha. I love she's Pageant. wonderful. I love Kirsten. All dear friends. Oh, really? Um, they're so wonderful, right? Yeah. Oh my god. That's a real. That's a real. Like <laughs> those are like. If I had to pick three women in my life, I would say would be least likely to be on a show like Criminal Minds. Oh, my God. It would be them. Un- well, it's part of why it's good is because they're yeah. on it. So it's yeah. like they're and they're also fucking cool. Like they're really wonderful human oh, beings. Everybody it. on it. Is no, so for good. sure. And by the way, that's no judgment. That's no shade on Criminal no, Minds. No, 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 that's no, just no, like, no. It's but a like, very intense show. Oh, my God. Yes. And they're the, the three of them are all like so wildly different, but just so, like, yes, such beams of light in the world. It's great. Yes. Oh, I so agree. Yes, so you can you can catch me. Now I'm going to have to watch it. I, um, <laughs> knowing that you're on there is like pushing me over the edge because I'm like, Ugh, yeah, those girl, the girls are on. That's fine. Well, um, what's fun is actually because it moved to Paramount Plus, so it um it was canceled after 15 seasons on CBS, and then right. uh, pandemic happened, and then it was moved to Paramount Plus. So it's like technically this is now Criminal Minds Evolution. So it's yes. the it's the reboot. Um, yes. So this is like season 16, but it's also season one, you know, and what's great is as like I think someone said at some point, it's almost like Criminal Minds 
from CBS and like a prestige television show had a baby. Oh, that's cool. Oh, nice. Because it's it's their episodes are an hour long and they are there are only 10 episodes. So yeah. and there are no commercials. It's way different. It's darker. Yeah. It's yeah. um like the scenes take, you know, it's more time. It more, more time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's just yeah. and I would say especially the pilot feels much more CBS. And then as soon as you hit two and then you keep going, it's just mm. darker and darker and mm-hmm. more and more like, oh, I'm watching streaming. That's this. Okay. Is a, it's a it's a love this different show, which is great. Love this. So has something for longtime fans and uh, new folks. So, yeah. So you can find me there. And yeah, you can just see what I've done on IMDb and then you can choose what you'd like to watch. Done <laughs> 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 a, a bunch of stuff, and um, and then I guess other than that, what else do I? I'm do? done, by the way. So zero okay. pressure. Okay, one more thing. Um, yeah. If you follow at underscore as love goes on Instagram, that is the series that I co-wrote. It's a um nice. bilingual, cross-cultural, multi-generational queer series uh, that I wrote with a Brazilian writer who did. Uh, Red, which is like a huge, hugely successful queer series in Brazil. So that is coming up. So there you go. I love this. Okay. Wonderful. All right. Well, all of that in this reality is fabulous. (laughs) But I also feel that what is happening in this alternate universe that we have here (laughs) is pretty phenomenal. Oh, my God. Um, (laughs) It's like, um, it's very like rich, like a rich chocolate tort or like a rich, you know what I mean? It's like buttery. It's like, oh, this life is very buttery. Love that. Uh, aside from the fact that you're a senator, which seems like pretty hard work, but um, <laughs> you're, that's why you're going to have to work hard, play hard. Work, work hard, play hard. play hard. So you're a senator. Right. Amidst all of this, and this says good things about where we are with the Senate, that like this, everything else is also happening for you because you're bringing it into politics. For example, I would love for my senator to look like Morticia Adams. Yes, that would fuck make yes! me so happy. You got the, you're rocking that look to the hilt. I feel like that blends perfectly in with the Harry Potter universe. Yes, <gasps> it works very well with your soundtrack that Ani DeFranco is providing. <laughs> of course, yes. <laughs> you have an apartment. This is where things get weird. You have an apartment in Kauai. Okay. I love this. I love this imagery. First of all, you don't always look like Morticia. That's whatever you want to. When I want to. Okay. But you do okay. have a beautiful apartment in Kauai. Love that. Got to bring some lightness to the dark Harry Potter oh, universe, you yeah. know? My, my, oh, yeah. yeah. But even that is like buttery. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like oh, the yeah. best, like, oh, Kauai, wonderful. The chic little apartment where you can eat, uh, and this goes for anywhere you are at any given time, all the French toast. Oh. Just like sumptuous. That's yes. what I mean. I mean yes. sumptuous. Yes. So all of this is happening. And what I would argue are the two most sumptuous people, my opinion, from these groups that you have this relationship with that I think is going to work very, very well. Pedro Pascal and Eva Green. Oh, my God. <gasps> I mean, that is smoking. I could not have. I honestly, <laughs> that. So sexy. Yeah, it's so sexy. I could not have asked for a better pairing. I could not have asked for a better pairing. Oh, it's so funny. I just bought this, like, stuff. this piece of art that is, it's this it's this woman's face, and she kind of looks vaguely Victorian, and I don't know. Mm. Anyway, it's, it's gorgeous, and I'm like, God, I love this. And my girlfriend all of a sudden is like, 
oh, it looks like Eva Green. And I was like, well, that's why I loved it. That's subconsciously. That's so. Yeah. So now we've started calling her Eva Green. Of so she's Eva Green in my house now. Giant face. Yeah. Anyway. As you must. I love oh, it. Oh, thank you. This that was, was thrilling. So fun. This See? Oh, that mash game gets you every time. It Sumptuous, does. buttery, wonderful <laughs> oh. French toast mash game. Nicole, you're the best. I'm so glad we did this. You're the best. This was awesome. And gosh, I hope we have the opportunity to see each other in real life. Yes. Uh, still feels pandemic-y. You know, oh that's, not, that's not what's happening anymore. But like people that I met during the pandemic, I feel like separated from still. Yes. Do we yes. have to like I, bridge the gap of like, no, no, we could get coffee. Yes. Let's get coffee. The show is recorded by me and edited by Julian Burrell. And as always, the JD Club theme song is Back Before We Were Brittle by the amazing Say Hi. Hey, number one, we could save kittens from trees. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.